You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. Today, we're going to spend just one Sunday in the book of First Kings. So find First Kings chapter 19 specifically, it's one of my favorite texts, and I think um, it's, an, it's a text I've taught out of uh, a number of times over the years, but I go here again today because I think it, it's a good text as we're entering a new year. It's a good text, especially on a, a New Year's Sunday, and that's why I, I go here. And so 1 Kings chapter 19, hopefully that will be realized why we're going here today as we go through, but 1 Kings chapter 19, we're in verses 1 to 16, although we'll sort of jump ahead a little bit. We'll spend some time at the beginning of the book, uh, or the, the text, and then we'll go on uh, to later verses. Why don't I stop and pray, and then we'll start walking through it. Uh, Father, I am truly thankful for this time. I am thankful for this ministry, specifically this, this people. I am so overjoyed and, and grateful for allowing uh, me personally, my family, to do life with this body. And, and I hope that is something that resonates with others, uh, that we don't do life alone. We do it in the context of community. And that's so encouraging and strengthening to us. For so many people live alone and do life alone. Perhaps they see someone at work or maybe at the gym or a coffee shop, but really invested in lives, going to deeper levels with them um, and coming alongside of one another. Uh, That's a sweet, sweet, uh, precious gift by way of, of you through the church. So thank you for this people. Um, And I I thank you that we can gather again like this on this first Sunday of 2022. And we want to gather, we want to gather under your word specifically. And so as we do this, please, Lord, move amongst us, please. Uh, Move amongst us and may we respond in ways that, um, that you want us to. Um, and I, I don't throw that out uh, easily. I, I want us to be a people who respond to, to hear and do, uh, for it's good for us, for you love us. You love us. You want what is best for us. You knit us and formed us. You know what's best for us. And you don't do things, you don't call us to things to, to thwart us, but to make our, our lives flourish, that we walk in the freedom knowing that we're walking according to the pattern that you've given to us. And so I pray that we would do that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in our text, we drop in on a a man named Elijah. Uh, That's with a J, don't get him confused with Elisha. Elisha takes over the ministry of Elijah. We'll actually come across Elisha as we close today. Elijah was a prophet, but he was a prophet in the the time when a a king named Ahab was, was reigning. Ahab was an evil king. Um, he was married to a woman named Jezebel. That was the queen. Uh, you, she's an evil queen. There's a reason why you don't call your daughters Jezebel, right? And if you did call your daughter Jezebel, I apologize for saying that. But Jezebel was an evil queen. She wasn't Jewish. Ahab was Jewish. She was a, a queen of the Jewish king, but she hated the Jews. So a queen of the Jews that hated the Jews uh, really wasn't a high water mark in the monarchy of Israel. 
Uh, Elijah himself played a central role in many key events in the history of Israel. Um, he's known for a number of things. Probably most prominent among them is the he never died. There is that. But what he was really known for in his life more than anything else was defending the honor and the glory of God against the false deity of Baal, a false deity that King Ahab and Jezebel worshiped. In an event that most typifies this dedication of Elijah to the the defense of the glory and honor of God, it takes place in chapter 18 where Elijah, 1 Kings 18, where Elijah goes up against 450 false prophets of Baal where God's power in this confrontation is displayed but so was the uselessness of Baal. Baal, this God, proved to be no God at all. And the end result of this standoff, which sets up our text, is found in verse 40. Let me read it, chapter 18. Then Elijah ordered them, seize the prophets, 450 prophets of Baal. Do not let even one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. 450 prophets of Baal. An issue arises out of this, as you could probably suspect. Jezebel hears what takes place, and she is apoplectic. She is beside beside herself, and this is what she says, which takes us to our text in verses one and two of chapter 19. Ahab, that's the king, told his wife Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the, one of, like, uh, the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, you're a dead man walking. In the same way that you killed the 450 prophets by the sword, I'm going to kill you by by the sword as well. So what does Elijah do, this great prophet of God? This, This strong prophet, faithful prophet just stood in the face of 450 false prophets, killed them by the sword. This man of integrity and strength who walked closely with God, so closely with God that one day he would be caught up with God in a whirlwind, never tasting death. What did this prophet of God do? Well, he ran for his life. Verse 3. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. Penthouse, chapter 18, outhouse, chapter 19. Drop down to verse 9, and let's pick things up there. We read in verse 9, he entered a cave there. That cave there is Horeb. That's, he's 41 days now, just so you know what takes place between verse 3 and verse 9. 41 days on the run. He's, he's near Mount Horeb, and he spent the night. He enters a cave and spends the night. Verse 9 continues. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, Elijah, what are you doing in a cave? 
Now, I have said this many times, even over the last couple of months to you, that God doesn't ask questions for his benefit, but for ours. Listen to the response of Elijah in verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. So there's his answer. God, I'm on the run if you need to know, because the queen is going to kill me. The queen and her people want to kill me. That's why I'm in a cave. But here's my question that leads to the rest of our time. Is that really why? Is that really why Elijah is in a cave? Now, on one hand, obviously it is. He is on the run. That's true. The queen does want to kill him, sent a messenger to tell him the fact that he was going to be killed. So he was running for his life. But doesn't the fact that God asked him why suggest that there's something more? I mean, God knows why he's in a a cave running from, from the queen. So there must be something more going on, something beneath the surface. So here's my hypothesis for the the message that we're looking at today and you're gonna hear today. Can I propose as we move ahead that the reason why Elijah is in a cave isn't primarily because he was afraid, but because he was having a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith coming because he was angry with God and felt that he deserved better. I mean, let's look at his answer again. Doesn't his answer in verse 10 suggest that? Let me read it again. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And they are looking for me to take my life. I mean, just think about it. Put yourself in Elijah's place. Elijah had just put his life on the line and was faithful when no one else in Israel was. He brought down 450 prophets, and what reward did he get? A hit was put out on his life. That's what he got, that was his reward. 41 days on the run, immediately after that event. I I don't wanna be insensitive to Elijah's play, I really don't, but I'd like to suggest that Elijah was in a cave because number one, he felt sorry for himself and feeling that way because his expectations of God weren't being met. And this is where Elijah's story can perhaps become something that resonates with us. He was disillusioned with God. He was feeling ripped off. And the result was he was no longer being led by faith and courage. No longer chapter 18, Elijah, but now being led by despondency and, and, and self-pity and fear. Alone in a cave by himself. Uh, Over the years, I have um, gone to many counselors. 
I've gone to ministry-based counselors to get advice on how to be a pastor. I've, I've gone to executive coach-type counselors. I've, 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 my wife and I have gone to counseling um, to help us in our own relationship. I've, I've sought many counselors over the years. I've, I've listened to many counselors, but do you know who counsels me most? More than anybody else? Me. The same is true with you. No, nobody counsels me more than me. Nobody speaks into my life more than me. And the same is true with you. Nobody counsels you more than you. And here's the thing. We can be the worst type of counselors. You know what I mean? Like some of the things that we say to ourselves, if we were a professional counselor, we'd have our license revoked. <laughs> right? And usually there are two extremes of our self-counsel. One, one extreme is you suck, right? You did that again. You're beyond repair and hope. There's no hope for you. You're a loser, no good. There's that extreme. Some of you counsel that to yourselves all the time. Then there's the other extreme. The other extreme is you deserve better. You're entitled to more. God's been unfair to you. Especially when you consider what you've done for him. That's the other extreme. Could it be possible that this second extreme was the kind of counsel Elijah was giving to Elijah? And because of that, he was in a cave. As we enter 2022, any of you in a cave right now? Like, does this resonate with you at all? Any of you, any of you feeling put off? Upset or angry at God, perhaps? Any of you feeling like you're... You're entitled to so much more. After all, just think about how much you've done for him. Think about what others have and you don't. A any of you perhaps living in a place of fear, Fe feeling faithless, feeling despondent, feeling feeling alone, I have to ask then, borrowing from the Lord, the word of the Lord that came to Elijah, what are you doing there? Why are you there? Is there a chance that you've chosen to be there? I, I get that you're afraid or that you're angry or that you're put off, but here's my question, why? Why? What voices are you listening to? What counsel are you taking? What are you saying to yourself? What are you no longer believing? Things that you believed in your chapter 18 part, part of life that you're believing now instead? Why are you in chapter 19? Well, all of this is a setup for what takes place next. As, as we join Elijah in verse 10 in a cave, we find a man in desperate need of restoration. 
And I think some of us can relate. We talk about New Year's resolutions. Maybe we need a New Year's restoration. Maybe we need a New Year's revival. And revival always starts with us. Elijah's was a restoration that actually began with the question that the Lord posed to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And therefore, it's a restoration that called, number one, for honest self-evaluation. And this is true for us as well. When we find ourselves in cave-like times, we need to reflect and we need to ask, why am I here? Look, why am I here? But this demands that we dig deep beneath the surface, that we not state the obvious, well, I'm on the run from the queen, but we go deeper, farther down, and consider the deeper emotions, the deeper feelings, the deeper beliefs that have led to our current state. Perhaps, as I said earlier, feelings of entitlement. We deserve something else. Feelings of, of the need of recognition, or, or an expectation that things should be easy or easier, or a craving for status or, or position or, or reward that haven't come. Perhaps, perhaps God knowing and rewarding in secret, quite frankly, just isn't enough for us. Perhaps if, if truth was stated, we would prefer the reward that came from others. The reward of those around us far more than the God who sees, sees us in secret. Re- restoration must begin here with self-reflection. For restoration demands that we consider the root of the problem and, and not simply the result of it. Questions like these are vital for most often our dishonesty with ourselves and others isn't shown up in what we say, but in what we don't say. So God asks, why are you here, Elijah? And Midtown, please hear me on this. He asks the same question of us too. Why are you here? What is it? Why are you on the run? But that's just the beginning. For restoration also calls us to hear from God again. Take a look at verses 11 to 14. Then he said, go out and stand at the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was, was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a, was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle or cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone alone am left, and they're looking for me to take my life. 
The question posed by God in verse 13 is the same question that he posed in verse 9. I'm sure you picked that up. And the answer that Elijah gives in verse 14 is the exact same answer that Elijah gave in verse 10. So the question is, what's the difference, man? Well, it could be that Elijah is ready to hear this time. That's, that's an option. Or it could be that he's just so off his game that he, he missed the point entirely. But it really doesn't matter, at least for us, because we have the luxury of slowing down and considering what God wants us to see. What does God want us to see in this earth, wind, and fire, great band from the 70s, earth, wind, and fire moment? What does he want us to see? What he wants us to see in this, and it's so important for us when we consider restoration, is that he most often speaks to us in a still, small voice. God doesn't usually speak in the big stuff. He doesn't speak in the earthquakes, in, in the fires, and in, in the wind, but in soft whispers. He, he speaks to us in parables. Well, we've got to think and consider and go deeper. Parables that kept the religious from Jesus, but drew people who wanted Jesus to greater understanding of Jesus and his kingdom. He speaks to us not just when we read the word, but when we slow down, quiet ourselves and meditate on it. He speaks to us in those times. But we miss, we miss his voice so often because there's just so much noise in here and our eyes are so often looking out there that we can't hear him. It's like Peter when he walked on water, remember that great event? Peter walked on water. What's really important to remember about that event is there, there was a storm all around him. Experienced any storms lately? But he starts walking to Jesus, eyes on Jesus, storm here. He's focused on Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. But then his eyes got, got off Jesus and he started noticing the storm. And he started thinking. I think a lot of us have been thinking in 2021 because all we're doing is looking at the storm. It's it. And we wonder why we're sinking. We wonder why we're in caves. And what we see here is we, we, we need to reorient our lives. We need to reorient our lives so that our eyes are cast on Jesus where we can hear from Jesus, where we're not distracted by this. I don't know if this will end. I don't think it will. So what's our call in that? To hope that it ends? That storms no, more, no longer come? Or is our call to just focus on Jesus? Focus on him, hear from him. When we don't, the result is we live on in the despondency of our caves. But the gracious reality, and boy, are we gonna see this in our study of Nehemiah, is that God continues to speak. He continues to speak. Our call in cave-like times especially, as I said, is to reorient our lives so we can hear from him again, which begins most often with us taking captive our thoughts. 
frequently uttered to us by us that we know are not true of Christ and true of who we are in Christ. To put it a different way, Midtown, hearing from God again demands that we be still and know that God is God and Jezebel is not. Which is the reason why Elijah was in a cave. Jezebel became his God. She was in control. Why are you in a cave, Elijah? That's what we need to reorient reorient our lives to be like, where we see God is God, God's in control. The storm's not in control. Jezebel's not in control. God is in control. We need to hear from him again in that way. What's your Jezebel right now? Who or what are you currently giving greater respect to than God himself? Is the fear of the Lord, your fear, that reverent, passionate desire to please him, is that your greatest fear or is there something else that supersedes the fear of the Lord? What are you running from? What's causing you to hide? What lies are you believing that you're building your life on right now? So restoration, number one, calls us to honest self-evaluation, to go deeper, dig deeper, but two, it calls us to hear from God again, but there's more. It also calls us to retrace our steps, which we hate. Take a look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. Without pulling out a bunch of maps, what God essentially tells Elijah to do is go back the way you came. Go go back towards (laughs) the queen. You're on the run, you're living in fear, and you need to return, which is often the most difficult part of restoration. And restoration, however, demands that we deal with unresolved issues. To not run from them, to not to not be governed by them, but to enter them, to deal with them, and then move on from there. We fight this, I know. We all fight this. Like I said, this is the part of restoration that we hate the most. We want easy restoration, right? We want a restoration, in fact, that really isn't restoration at all. We don't want to go back to the past. We don't want to deal, deal with the past. To borrow from the Sermon on the Mount, we would perhaps prefer to leave our gift at the altar and not worry about going to that individual and making things right. Like I said, we want a restoration that's not a restoration at all, but the truth is God doesn't want our gifts most of all. It doesn't move his needle if there are other things more important to attend to. This was true with Peter. Remember Peter, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, cock-a-doodle-doo, and he ran, just like Elijah. But his cave cave was a fishing boat. He, He hid in plain sight, and his restoration took place over a breakfast with Jesus. But it too, his restoration, please hear this, it too came by way of a question. Remember the question? 
Peter, do you love me more than these? It's, it's telling, isn't it, that Jesus doesn't restore Peter with forgiveness, although he certainly was forgiven. But Jesus restores Peter with a question. Why is that? Why does Jesus approach Peter in this way? Well, the answer is because Jesus isn't simply committed to our forgiveness. He's committed to our sanctification. He he doesn't want us to stay in the same place. A sanctification in Peter's case that required that he see the reason behind his denial. Peter, do you know why you denied me? Because in that moment, at least, Peter, you love these more than me. And you've got to see that, Peter. For Peter to move on, he needed to go back. Same with Elijah. How about you? Can be scary though, right? Anything, anywhere, anyone, you need to go back to where if you don't, it will keep you from being the person that God has in mind for you. What from your past? What sin against you? What sin from you, by way of you? Do you, know, do you need to make right and retrace the steps to? Something I've learned over the years is that the more certain I am of my call, the more convinced and convicted I am to make things right in my past and my present, even the small, seemingly insignificant things. If you've ever really taken the time to look at the call of Moses after the 40 years when he went back to shepherding, he's, he's, he's called by God after those 40 years to go back into to Egypt and he's on his way and all of a sudden there's this weird event where God's about to kill him, like right after the, the journey. And the reason is, is Moses and his children hadn't been, or his children specifically, hadn't been circumcised. Small thing, right? I mean, call to God and now you're, what's this? This thing has to get dealt with. It may seem insignificant with the big call, but this is important. Deal with this. I've found that to be true in my life, and I'm sure it's true in yours because it seems to be a a theme within the scriptures. It seems to be a a divine truth. We, We need to deal with these things. So what is it, perhaps? One last piece of restoration that we're called to. It calls us to raise up others. Restoration calls us to not do life alone. Take a look at halfway through verse 15 and we'll read through verse 16. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over uh, Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, there he is, son of uh, Shaphat from Abel-Meholah as prophet in your place. What, what is God doing here? Well, God calls Elijah to return and in doing so, call on the help of others to raise up, to send out, to work with. King Jehu is noted, what did he do? He exterminated the house of King Ahab. 
Elisha, as we know, carried on the ministry of Elijah after Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. And although Hazael was the king of a different country, a foreign country, even he served a role at times in the ministry of Elisha. So what is, what's going on? Well, Elijah is being called to partner and have others share the load and take over one day. Not surprising, really. For, for most often, restoration depends on the help of others, doesn't it? Here's the reason why I think this is an all-important point. Do you remember what Elijah says two times in verse 10 and in verse 14? He says there, I alone am left, God, all by myself. And what is God's response? No, you're not. What are you talking about? You're not alone. You may think you're alone right now, but you're not. I've got others that I'm raising up who will join the task But if you want to meet them, hear me, you got to get out of your cave. I think there are a lot of people living in caves right now. See, that's what hiding in caves does. It keeps us from meeting and enjoying, truly enjoying the partnership and the fellowship of others. But the other dangerous aspect of hiding in caves is that it it affects people we know now as well. Our kids, our spouses, our friends, our family members, those we lead, those we serve under, an unwillingness to consider the deeper questions keep us from them. An unwillingness to hear from God again keeps us from them. And an unwillingness to return and deal with our past keeps us from them. And instead of walking out of our caves, do you know what we do? We we suck them in with us. And we go on in a cave-like existence. In the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, we are told there about a prophet like Elijah would come again. Fast forward to the ministry of Jesus and that prophet that was prophesied about was none other than John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet. He came in the spirit of Elijah, as we know, to prepare the way of the Messiah. How great was John? Well, as we've heard over the last couple of months, other than Jesus, he was the greatest person who has ever lived. And man, was he bold. John was bold. Very bold. He would call a spade a spade. He'd call you a snake if you were a snake. So bold, in fact, here's the thing about this Elijah to come. His boldness got him in trouble with the king and queen too just like the first Elijah. The result, he was thrown into prison, a prison that turned into a cave. Leading to a question John asked Jesus by way of his disciples, are you the Christ? Or should we expect someone else? 
Hugely perplexing question. Pat talked about this just a couple of months ago. Hugely perplexing question. I mean, John had baptized Jesus. John had heard the Father say, this is my son. John had cried out, one is coming whom sandals are not worthy to untie. John had declared, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. He said to his disciples, follow him, that John. But now in his cave, he asks, are you the one? Why? Well, a popular answer that you'll come across in some commentaries is Jesus didn't meet his expectations. John wanted more fire and brimstone. And all Jesus brought was all healing and grace and niceties. I actually think there's something of that because I think he had a certain expectation that wasn't met, but I think there's something more. I think John asked because of where his faithfulness to Jesus led him. Where did it lead him? Prison. As important as the question itself is is where it's posed. I did this, and it led to this? Are you the Christ? Jesus responds to John by way of his disciples, tell John the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then he adds this very strange postscript. He says, bless is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me. Why would anyone, why would anyone fall away from Jesus on account of this? Well, the answer is no one would. Why you'd fall away is by serving Jesus and being tempted to give up based on your current situation. Being kept in prison even though Jesus could free you. John is is questioning Jesus in part at least based on his current situation. In other words, the second Elijah was fighting the same crisis of faith, the first one had. But it's a crisis of faith and a call of faith that we are called to fight too. Perhaps some of you are fighting it right now. So Jesus says to John, tell John what you see and tell him to trust in me in spite of what his faithfulness has led to. I am the Christ. I am the Christ. Again, he may be saying the same to you right now as well. So there you go. What does a a New Year's restoration depend on? It depends on us and calls us to reflect, number one, to dig deeper, to go deeper. Ask the big bad boy, big girl questions. Dig deeper, it asks us to reorient ourselves so we can again hear from God his still whisper, small voice, low whisper. It tells us, calls us to retrace our steps. What do we need to go back to? And it calls us to raise up others, to get out of our caves and to partner with others. As I close, and we move into a time of response and put a bow on this message, 
I'd be, admit, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention one other cave this morning. Talked a lot about caves. The cave Jesus entered for us. A, a cave he was laid down into so we could be freed from ours. He entered that cave for us. A cave conquered, a cave walked out of, enabling us to be freed from our past, to be empowered in our present as we move forward towards a more certain and glorified future. And we are, right? We are. 2022 is closer for you and me. We're closer. We're closer. Certain. Certain. So in that way, this is great. It's a great year. It's going to be a great year. I need to pray. Let me pray. Would you rise as we pray? Pretty please. Let's pray together. Father, this is so relevant to us, Father. Your word is so good. So good. And and as we respond to your word, I have to think, I know, I know that there are some of us right now where the plight, the state that we found, find Elijah in in chapter 19 is where we are. So strengthen us to follow not simply the model of Elijah, but more importantly, the call of the Lord on Elijah, for the call is the same to hear from you again, to consider deeply the questions that you pose to us, that we need the strength to retrace, to go back perhaps to things that we've been working very hard to to leave, but we know in our heart of hearts that we need to deal with. And also to have the courage to do life with others. We need others. We need the body of Christ. So I pray whatever that is for us, whatever it is, that that in these moments ahead, as we respond, that great sweet ministry would take place. Please, Lord, as we go into this new year, may sweet ministry in us individually, but us corporately as we go forward, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to mtownchurch.ca.